0: I think we often feel that we have to have prepared this really good sales pitch and we have to gather information, then, you know, ask all the questions and we have this like really structured thing. But actually, I can just put a before and after in front of someone and say, do you want that? And they go, yes or no. More often than not, they'll be like, yeah, absolutely. Cause why would they not? That's far better. And I think that if you are really good at something or you have something that you can do as a creative, whether it's design or music or anything else, if you can show what you do in a way that means that why would someone not buy it? Why would someone not do it? Because it's so obviously a really good thing. Sometimes you can kind of trip yourself up by talking about it too much, actually. Mm. And if you just go, right, this is the thing. What do you think? You can't really ruin that because you know that the art or whatever it is that you've created is going to sell itself.
1: If you're seeking a way to escape the cycle of under-earning and overworking, then you're in the right place. Welcome to The Well Paid Creative, where we discover how to run a profitable and satisfying creative business. I'm your host, Gabrielle Chipier, and I share what I've learned in my 17 years as a creative pro. From attracting quality clients, to earning more profit, to escaping burnout, and creating amazing work you love, we're going to cover it all. Join me as I interview experts and reflect on my own experiences, both the good and the bad. Before we dive into the show, if you want access to free resources, trainings, and a community of creative pros just like you, hop on over to wellpaidcreative.com where you can find all this and more. Hey, welcome back. I am so excited that you're here with me today and also with my guest today, Joe Wadsworth. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: So tell us a little bit more about you, because you've got a pretty interesting story there.
0: Sure. So I run a company called the Online Recording Studio, and very much like what the name suggests, we are an online recording studio. And so what that means is we have a team of producers, session musicians, but also other creatives like designers, uh, PR people and and promoters and things like that, uh, who work with artists remotely, all done online. And we produce and record songs. We help people take the next step with their music, whether it's just for fun or whether it's genuinely investing in a career. And so I started that when I was, I think, about 20 was when I actually sort of officially started when I was still at university. Started it off in my dorm room by recording people who I was meeting on Instagram and just saying, hey, I'll do this all myself. And over the last kind of five and a half years have grown that to a team that has 30 people dotted all around the world. We've got a community of, you know, more than 100,000 musicians dotted all over thousands of tracks completed at this stage. And, you know, I've had the pleasure of being able to work with some really, really exceptional, uh, not just singer songwriters, but other creatives as well.
1: Oh, wow. So that's quite the beginnings from recording people in your dorm room to (laughs) now having this team behind you and a huge community. That's fantastic.
0: I think it was one of those things where there were a lot of pieces that came together very well outside of my own control. But equally, I think, you know, there's a lot of that right place, right time sort of thing. I think we were just at the kind of apex of when that was possible. The technology allowed it to be able to work. There weren't a lot of people doing it at that stage and really we've just grown by listening to what our artists are asking for pretty much every assumption that we've made about what our community is going to like has been fairly wrong and so what we've done is just when people have said hey do you do this we've gone well no not yet leave it with us and then we've gone and tried to worked out how we can do it and then come back and really that's the growth has been very organic in that sense
1: oh I love that you know and that's a kind of a key lesson because I know I'm the same way. Anytime I assume my clients or my community or anything wants to know about a specific thing or wants a specific service, generally I'm completely wrong. (laughs) So I've learned a couple different ways of like really listening, getting that under the kind of top level messaging from people. How have you done that in your community other than just waiting for them to ask
0: for it? So there's a couple of things that we've done. I mean, first and foremost, I would just stress that so much of it has just come from people being quite proactive, having customers that are quite proactive and and asking, hey, do you do this? I also need this. That's been the primary one. But when we've tried to dig a little deeper, what we've done is, well, first and foremost, put out polls on Instagram and other social media where we can just sort of say, hey, would you rather have this or this? That's a really good litmus test because we're literally only asking people who already follow us and potentially a large portion of those are already our customers. I try and take time as well, particularly nowadays, to reconnect with people that we maybe worked with a few years ago to kind of check in, hey, how are you doing? You know, what's been the progress that you've made since finishing up working with us? And what have been the kind of roadblocks that you've had to face along the way? And then taking that information down, talking it through my team and sort of boiling down to, right, that seems to be a, a real common theme that people who have recorded maybe an EP with us, maybe a year on, they're not quite sure what to do because they don't know if they should bring out new music or they don't know if they should be touring or that, you know, so we go, okay, well, perhaps one of the things that we need to include then is after 12 months after a release, we need to make sure that we're checking in, offering support, having resources that are available there. That's a single example of something, but really it's just about not being too stuck in your ways in going, right, we're nailing this because there's always a way that you can do better at what you're doing, especially when you have an organization that's working with so many different people. Um, I think being flexible really is the key thing and just keeping your ears open.
1: Mm, I love that. So now you've had a lot of great success. And I know when we were kind of chatting in the green room there, you've also mentioned that you had a couple of struggles as you've been growing this business. So we're going to go into success and then struggles. It's kind of like my sure. favorite part of these progress, not perfection interviews. So what do you think that you're doing really, really good in your business?
0: So, well, I, w- I wouldn't like to assume too much, but I think that I feel confident in saying that the thing that really sets the online recording studio apart from, say, a, a competitor or a similar kind of business, something like SoundBetter. SoundBetter, for those who don't know, is, is kind of like Fiverr or People Per Hour, but specifically for music. It's one of those online open marketplace mm-hmm. services. Now, the online recording studio is much closer to a kind of agency model. So it's much more personalized. And that's something that's really important to me and has always been a kind of fundamental in what we want to offer. I think that's something that we do well and something that I really, really push with all of the team is making sure that the connections that we create with the customers and with the artists are real human connections, things that are going to mean that there's a really great collaboration. People are comfortable working together and are excited to work together. You know, artists now message us and say, I'm really, really excited to work with so and so again. And we see this in our, when people do testimonial videos for us, often The music, you know, they say at the beginning, yeah, the music sounds really, really good. But obviously it it should if we're an online production company. But the bit that I really like is when I see people saying, and I feel like I made a friend for life, or I feel like I found someone I could work with forever or, and just talking to my producer, it was so much fun. It was so exciting. So I think that that real human connection is kind of fundamental to having good collaboration over the long term. And so I think that is something that we are doing well, but I would always like to be doing a little bit better.
1: Mm. And you know, that's a nicer way of putting customer service, real human <laughs> connection.
0: <laughs> yeah, in, a, in like, a nutshell. How
1: are you at customer service? You know, if we just said, how are you at real human connection, you know, it would be a, a little bit clearer in, one, in terms of what you should expect from it.
0: I think that's, there's something to be said in that, in sort of looking at it in a different way, as it not just being customer service. And I think as the business owner and the person sort of steering the ship, I think that one of the mistakes certainly that I've made, but it's kind of bittersweet is that having grown this from nothing, I still kind of have this element of feeling slightly grateful to every person that we work with because I'm like, wow, this is awesome. You're coming to work with us. That's really cool. And I think it's really important not to lose that because it means that you're not viewing people as customers. You're viewing them as creatives and people. And I find that to be a much nicer way to interact with people, especially when you're having to collaborate and make something out of nothing together. You know, and I think customer service, my head immediately goes to like sort of renting a car or like going into a, you know, into a shop where someone's got a kind of plastered on smile. It's really fake. It's there just to kind of say, well, yeah, no, I was really polite and I was smiling the whole time, but it's not authentic. But I think that not viewing people as customers has also meant that when we have had things that haven't gone to plan or we've had an artist that perhaps didn't work out in the way that they were anticipating, or, you know, we've had to resolve something that's come up as these things do from time to time. I take it really personally. Mm -hmm. It concerns me because I feel like it's not sort of just like a business customer relationship. It's like two people who've kind of come together and found a way to work together. And I think that's a good and a bad thing, but it's certainly something that keeps us on our toes.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that. Now, what would you say that you guys have been struggling with? Because I know On the outside, it might seem that, you know, you guys kind of have it made. You've got a team of 30. You're helping these Mm. artists all over the world. You've got this huge community. uh, Your Instagram account is crazy bumping. What do you feel like you're struggling with?
0: One of the key struggles actually is, for me personally, is organizing a big team. Mm. I'm not naturally a very organized person at all, which I think maybe share that with quite a few of your listeners if they're all sort of uh, right brain creatives but that scaling up and being able to kind of people manage and organize i think has been one of the difficult things certainly as the team has grown and i've had to kind of reimagine or, or, or sort of redo what what my relationships are with everyone in the team because i'm not able to have the face time that i used to be able to when it was a much smaller team that's a real challenge and i think that it's just something that you have to work out over time I think the other thing that's that's sort of a business wide challenge that we face is actually really being able to boil down to who our specific customer is. Because mm-hmm. even after five and a half years of doing this, six years I think of doing this actually, we sort of have segments a little bit. We kind of, but really because of how broad our service is, because it's for careerists and for hobbyists, it's for any age, it's for any genre, pretty much that's made it really, really tricky, especially with limited resources and a smaller team to begin with, to be able to effectively market to say a specifically rock oriented audience or specifically rock women, should we say, or specifically mm-hmm. hip hop men or, you know, really organizing like that has been really, really tricky. And so everything that you read will say segment down, segment down, get really, really personalized, really, really personalized. And that is true. If you have the resources to do that and the time and the person power to be able to do all of those things. But if you are limited and you are growing something, rather than trying to individually separate out your different groups, I think the important thing is to find what unifies those groups, what brings them together as a single group, and then fire that on all cylinders. And so that's something that we are doing, but the challenge is certainly trying to really know who our customer is, what their motivation is, because it does vary quite so much. mm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I can totally agree with that because a lot of the times we're told to niche down, Mm. you know, choose your niche, define your segments, you know, find that one aspect of the market. And that can be very hard for people because a lot of the times they think of that as, okay, we'll choose an industry or choose an age range or something very demographically based. but. What you're doing here is what we call psychographics, right? You're talking about the underlying emotions or thoughts or, you know, categorization that people think of themselves rather than what they're presented to the outside world. And that's also a totally valid way of niching and finding your people because you don't have to base it off of what they look like or where they live. You can totally base it off of what specific problem do they have? You know, what do they think of when they wake up first thing in the morning?
0: quite right and i think that actually in doing that and making it not about the demographic per se and about the underlying feeling and the underlying motivation and finding something that is just collectively accepted as the reason as to why people are coming to make music or or do whatever it is that they do with uh, the online recording studio that has meant that we've been able to really tie that onboarding process and i suppose the sales process as well into that customer service or or human connection, as we were putting it before, because it's all about just good vibes. It's all about, you know, making sure that people who love music have a place that they can make some great music. And really, it's not that much more complicated than that. And I think that that works because it ties into really our core values as a company, what we're here for and what we want to be doing. And with that, it means that everyone's experience is kind of colored by the fact that they know that we're here to just you know you love music we love making music let's make some music together you have the music have a good time and i think that's worked really well up until around now i would say it's been absolutely fine but i think now that we are bigger and we are looking to expand more i do need to get someone who can start <laughs> segmenting the audiences a little bit more i think just so that we can really really up our game now that we have the resources to be able to do that
1: we're going to get right back to the conversation because it is so good But I want to tell you about a free quiz at wellpaidcreative.com forward slash quiz that's going to help you discover the unique hidden key to higher profit and awe-inspiring growth in your creative business. Now, there are so many keys to growth in a business, but they don't all fit the lock of your business right now that's why I developed the Profit Finder Quiz, and it's going to show you exactly what you need to be focusing on to reach the next level. Now, making a decent living from the work you love doesn't have to be hard, and when you answer these profit-finding questions for yourself, you're going to make it so much easier go take the Profit Finder quiz today. You can find it at wellpaidcreative.com forward slash quiz and get your unique key plus in-depth strategies designed to help you see growth fast. Now again, that's at wellpaidcreative.com forward slash quiz. All right, let's get back to the episode. Mm -hmm. yeah and that's something you do as you have the resources you can grow there you can scale there right Mm -hmm. so now we mentioned this earlier just about how amazing you guys have been on Instagram and I really want to talk to you more about this because I feel like you kind of have the inside secrets on that platform (laughs) I'm personally struggle a little bit with the Instagram myself which is funny because you'd Instagram is the perfect platform for a creative person, right? It's so much so visual, so expressive, right? But what have you guys been doing on Instagram that you feel is different than what others have been doing?
0: So I think what we try to do with the Instagram is really thinking about the macro rather than the micro. Mm -hmm. Because when we think about the behavior of someone coming onto your Instagram profile, they're not going to focus massively on one individual post. And I think it's really easy to get caught up on trying to perfect every single post as if they're going to be standalone posts. Mm -hmm. That's not the behavior of people when they come onto Instagram. They scroll, they scroll and they scroll and they scroll and they'll come on onto your profile They maybe click on the most recent one or the most recent couple. But then after that, they're going to scroll down and they're going to look at the ones that kind of stick out to them. So I think Mm -hmm. first and foremost, it's about thinking about that entire experience and making a really cohesive, consistent experience for someone that's at its simplest form, tied together with some simple brand rules, you know, having a clear color scheme in place, sticking to the same fonts, the same sort of stylings across the entire profile. Consistency has been a really key thing for us, and actually, we notice that if we have a few weeks where we don't post regularly, we see a dip in new artists coming to join us, our community growing. It is really important to remain consistent. All of that fancy stuff that we do on Instagram, really, the thing that is our most successful. Piece of content, and the thing that every single person who comes onto their first call with myself or the first call with their producer and and uh, and talks about is the before and afters.
1: Mm, before and afters. Tell me a little bit more about that, because how do you do that with musical content? I guess
0: so. The idea really came from you know when you see like weight loss ads, and there's always that person holding the massive trousers, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they're showing how much weight they've lost that is such a striking image because it's about transformation. That's the important thing. And I think that whenever anyone is hiring a creative of any sort, of any sort, what they are interested in is finding someone who can make a transformation happen. And so the starkest way that you can show that transformation is literally just like, here's how it was, here's how it is now. And so what we've done is whenever we start with an artist, we ask for a video to be sent in of them singing their, uh, their song. And not only is that useful for social media but also it's useful for us to be able to see the artist perform that song because we can kind of pick up on the smaller nuances of their performance of their body language and their behavior as they're singing it which we wouldn't get necessarily from just a sort of low quality recording but what we do is you know it's, it's really straightforward honestly we start the clip off in black and white so we have it black and white it says before underneath and then about 10-15 seconds in it transitions into the fully produced track once it's done it goes into color And then we have some calls to action towards the end of the thing. But really it's that moment where it transitions and this swipe goes across and it goes from black and white into color. And you hear this music really come to life. That is the most effective marketing tool or sales pitch or anything that, you know, far better than anything that someone could say is just say, well, here it is. Listen and look and see how this, how happy this person is with it Hear How good it sounds. I think finding ways to have a real stark contrast between how things were when you started as a creative and how things are now that you're done and showing the work that you've done. As I say, it all comes back to that transformation. And I think those before and afters are really the simplest way to do that. And then coupling those with little snippets of what the producers have to say and shots of the studio and that sort of stuff. But really it all is built around those before and afters.
1: Mm, I love that. And that kind of ties into a pretty key marketing strategy and that's show, don't tell, right? So you can talk about how amazing your tracks sound you can talk about how amazing your work is but as soon as you show someone they just kind of get it
0: that's it I think we often feel that we have to have prepared this really good sales pitch and we have to you know gather information then you know ask all the questions and we have this like really structured thing but actually I can just put a before and after in front of someone and say do you want that and they go yes or no more often than not, they'll be like yeah absolutely because why would they not that's far better. And I think that if you are really good at something or you have something that you can do as a creative, whether it's design or music or anything else, if you can show what you do in a way that means that why would someone not buy it? Why would someone not do it? Because it's so obviously a really good thing. Sometimes you can kind of trip yourself up by talking about it too much, actually. Mm. And if you just go, right, this is the thing. What do you think? You can't really ruin that because you know that the art, or whatever it is that you've created, is going to sell itself.
1: Mm. And you know, when you think about it, this actually kind of ties into something you were telling me in the green room there about how creatives should be the best at sales.
0: Yeah, I always find it interesting when I talk to people in our team, both in, in the music side of things and also on the design side of things about this. And a lot of them have this real, I would say, a misconception about themselves that they are not good at selling and that they are uh, more suited to being creative and more suited to doing that. But I don't see being good at sales and being creative as being separate things. I think they have huge crossover because being good at sales really is about quick problem solving. It's about coming up with solutions. It is about, and I kind of hate this phrase, but it is about thinking outside of the box. Mm. It is about finding ways around to get to the outcome that you're looking for that, someone else wouldn't think of and people often talk about sales as being a straight line and yes the best sale kind of works as a straight line and it's nice and simple but if you've got a mind that can create huge spaces or designs or you know just you have a vision for stuff you can utilize that vision to be really really good at sales in a way that someone who doesn't have that natural ability to be able to be creative they wouldn't be able to do that but it's really important to If you are an introverted person, which many creatives are, if you are an introverted person, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are not going to be good at selling or not going to be good at convincing people or persuading people of stuff. You just have to change your tactics. You can't go at it like someone who's super extroverted. If you're looking at someone who is clearly massively extroverted and going, right, I'm going to do that, unless you're a really good actor, it's not really going to work. You have to find the thing that works for you. And I wouldn't say that I'm particularly extroverted person I much prefer you know having that solo time and that relaxed time but with that introversion it means that I can speak to people in a way that is comfortable for me and I think for anyone who is listening who is sort of thinking how do I sell my service how do I sell what I do to people in a way that's effective is to first and foremost remember that loads of people can't do the thing that you can do Mm -hmm. it might be another day at the office for you but actually there are people who spend their lives trying to be as good as you might be at the thing that you're doing. That's the first thing to remember because once you've got that in the bank, you remember, okay, well, I've got something pretty good that I'm giving away. The second thing is, if you know what the person really wants, and as I've said, nine times out of 10, it's transformation. If you know what that person really wants, what your job is then is to connect the dots in the most creative way that you can from where they are right now, where they haven't made their mind up yet, to the point in the future where they have made their mind up and it's just about you then whenever they say something that kind of takes you over to here you go right okay well right I'm trying to get you back over here it's about quick thinking and doing it in a way that is comfortable for you but and I think this is the hard bit you have to screw up a bunch of times first and that Mm. kind of sucks (laughs) but there's really no way around it you kind of have to know what doesn't work as much as you have to know what does work in order to find out what does work but I think playing to the strengths of being creative really are the key thing. And I'm often surprised when people who I see have such vision and such creative minds have this misconception that they're not going to be good at sales. Because I see this time and time again, when we sort of go, no, give it a go. They're almost always really good at it. It's just a thing in their heads that they think I'm not good at this.
1: Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And that's so, so true. Now, what would you say... To someone who has just listened to this podcast episode, what would be the first action step that they should take after listening to this?
0: So I think if you're trying to build what you're doing into something that's going to earn you a good amount of money and be comfortable for you to work in, I think first and foremost, you have to really take stock of what your value is that you're providing. Mm. So say you're a graphic designer. I'm sure you have a lot of graphic designers who, who listen to this. So say you're a graphic designer. First and foremost, understand the styles that you are particularly good at and you know that your strengths are in. That's really key. Understanding what you're good at and what you're bad at is the basis of anything. Because as I said a moment ago, if you understand the value of what it is that you're selling to someone, it makes that sales process much easier. It makes growing that service much easier as well. I think then thinking about what are your kind of shopfront assets what are the things that you've created that are going to be really exciting and interesting for people? Now, for graphic designers, sometimes that can be tricky because if you're just given a brief and you say, Hey, I had this brief, and then that's written out in words, and then you say, And this is what I came up with, that's kind of a before and after, but it's not a real stark contrast, which is what you need to have if you're really going to sell it to someone. So, first, once you've taken stock of what it is that you can do and you've, you've picked out a few things that you know are good and you're really pleased with work out how you can show the absolute bare bones version of that as the before and work out how can I make the difference between what I have now and what I started with as massively different as possible and in doing that you won't just create a really effective before and after but you'll also understand a little bit better the magic that someone else sees when they see okay that's what was started with and that's what we have now And the more that you can understand the relationship between those two things and put yourself in the space between those two things, not just from your perspective, but from an outsider's perspective and how it's going to be received, the better set you are going to be to be able to effectively convey the value of what you're doing. Now, the final thing I would say is make sure that everything that you have out looks as professional as you would like to be perceived. I think if you have social media profiles Mm -hmm. that you're using for your design, don't put photos of your Supper on there, or view on a roller coaster. Use it f- as a portfolio, and finally, just do as much outreach as you can. But real outreach, not cold emailing—you know, thousands and thousands of emails at a time—doesn't work anymore. Real, authentic, genuine social media outreach that shows that you're a real person is the way to grow, uh, in my opinion. Especially with the tools that we have today.
1: Mm, absolutely, I love that. So this has been just an absolutely fantastic conversation. So. I ask everybody who comes on the podcast this episode, I'm kind of intrigued what your answer is going to be. Do you have a hobby or a creative activity that you do on the side that's just for you?
0: Well, outside of music, I mean, my main thing really is music. I turned my hobby into my job, which is is really nice. But if I'm not saying music specifically, I mean, I, I like writing. I really enjoy writing stuff. I don't really show many people the stuff that I write. I have a couple of friends who I kind of show things to, but I really like finding ways to kind of create stories or create ideas for things. I never finish anything, ever. Like, I never, ever finish. It's always just a thing of starting loads of things, which is often something that I say you should never do if you're really serious about something, is you should make sure you get things finished. But it's a really nice way to unwind. I like writing. Sometimes I'll write really long things that are just like accounts of things. Sometimes it's stories or poems or things like that. But... I find that that's a nice change of pace from the kind of musical creativity. Although sometimes if it's been a really long day of writing emails, I will just go and sit over at the piano and play that for an hour or two instead of actually writing something else. Mm. Mostly it is music though, I would say is my main thing.
1: I love that. All right. Well, where can people find you online, Joe?
0: So you can find the online recording studio on Instagram, as we've discussed at the online recording studio. So come and say hello. We'd love to hear from you. We're also at onlinerecordingstudio.com and at the end of September 2021, we will also be launching a podcast called Make It in the Music Biz, which is going to be all about mm. navigating your way through the music industry. We've got different guests, some artists, some industry experts, and some where it's just going to be one of our executive producers, Dave Gerhardt, who's based over in Philadelphia, just he and I talking through some of the key things. We've got some great interviews lined up. We've done a few already. We've got some really, really interesting episodes, uh, some studies of some songs and some artists that have done really well in quite unconventional ways. So keep an eye out for that. And there'll be more about it on our social media and on our website at the time.
1: Oh, wonderful. Well, I can't wait for that to come out. And we're going to put all of those links in the show notes. So if anybody is listening to this, you can head on over to the show notes at wellpaidcreative.com and you can check out the links to all of that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Joe. This was just absolutely fantastic.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Well-Paid Creative. This podcast is sponsored by 12 Strong, a full-service marketing automations agency. You can learn more at 12strong.com. The music is by Silverhoof, and our guests are not paid for their time and energy, so please do give them any support that you can. Before we head out, if you want access to free resources, trainings, and a community of creative pros just like you, visit wellpaidcreative.com where you can find all this and so much more. Join me next week for another episode as we continue discussing how you can grow and love a profitable creative business. While you're here, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoyed it, I'd be so grateful for a review or a share with someone you think would benefit. Now, let's hear some more of that amazing theme song.